Well, hey, everybody. How are y'all tonight? Y'all doing well? Well, welcome. We're so glad to see you. Now, this is a different setup, right? You've never seen us do this before. But we're doing something different because we're in this series again called Relationship Goals. Are y'all excited about tonight? We hope so. We hope so. We've got some thoughts we want to share with you that will hopefully advance you into relationship goals. In fact, as we were preparing for this, Pastor Janae went, went, went through the internet and found something very interesting, and she'd love to share it with you. Yeah, so as we were working on this series and working on relationship goals, I was kind of curious. What does society, what does culture, what does social media say or define as relationship goals? And so I went to Instagram, and I was looking around at, you know, what is relationship goals? And did you know that right now there are over 14.5 million posts on Instagram with the hashtag relationship goals? There's a lot of relationship goals out there. And so I began to look at them and kind of see, okay, what are the goals? What are the standards? How are they defining relationship goals out there? And as I was looking at the pictures and everybody's relationship goals, you know, every single person, they're trying to one-up another person. Their picture has to be better. Their experience has to be better. You know, and you're seeing these people, and they'll, put, they'll have this picture, right? And they're at this amazing restaurant, beautiful restaurant. They have the perfect filter. They have the perfect picture. They have the perfect lighting. Their, their meal looks amazing. And they're like, hashtag relationship goals. And I'm thinking, hashtag not my reality, You know? Hashtag too expensive. Yeah. Or you see them and they're on these exotic adventures or these amazing vacations. And they're, you know, laying on the beach in Fiji. You know, they're in Hawaii. They're like in the Amazon rainforest doing amazing things. And they're like, hashtag relationship goals. And all I'm thinking is, I'm never going to be there. So if that's relationship goals, we don't meet up. That's never going to be my reality. But you see, culture is always trying to define for us what relationship goals are. But instead, in this series, we're looking at how does God want our relationships to thrive? What is marriage supposed to be like? And so as we think about how our relationships need to to thrive, instead of looking at culture, instead of looking at social media, because they're saying relationship goals are whatever gets the most tweets, whatever gets the most shares, whatever gets the most views, that's the standard. But God has a different plan in mind, and the Bible is the standard for relationship goals. That's right. And so today we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13. Because when you think about marriage and you think about love, one of the first places that you go into the Bible and everybody thinks about related to love is 1 Corinthians 13. And we think about it and we immediately talk about how it sets the foundation for love. We, we begin to quote it in our mind. Many of us are familiar with it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It keeps no record of wrongs. And we can kind of go through that. And all of us have sat in a wedding ceremony And the minister has been there and standing before the bride and the groom. And as he's conducting their wedding ceremony, he begins to read this passage because he's trying to set a biblical foundation for marriage. And today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to start in verse 9. Feel free to open up your Westover app, open up your Bible app. And really, a lot of people focus on the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, but we're actually going to look at the, the latter verses there that sometimes get glossed over or people don't really focus on. And so we're going to look at them because it kind of gives you a picture and an understanding of how in love, in relationships, we don't always see the full picture. We don't always understand everything. 
And so it starts in verse 9. It says, now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And see, these verses confirm that in relationships and in love, we don't always have the full picture. Paul writes thousands of years ago to the early church and he says, hey, in love you're not going to understand and you're not going to see the full picture. And we know that that is true today. Because everybody, I mean, if you've been married for any point of time, you probably have said this at some point. If I only knew that before I got married, if I had only yeah. known that about my spouse before I got married, life would be so much easier. Hey, real talk. Sometimes when you're at a wedding, you're like, oh, this is beautiful, but they have no clue. Have you all ever said that before? Yes. Sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm watching and I'm like, this is wonderful and beautiful, but they are clueless. Well, today, hopefully, we're going to share with you some things to pull back the curtain and help you understand what's, what's the reality of marriage. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about and confront the myths of marriage. We're going to confront some of the myths of marriage because we all walk into relationships with assumptions and myths about love and marriage. And so it's kind of like what Paul says. We only see a partial portion of the full picture. So to make it fair... We're both up here because everybody knows that when preachers talk about marriage and wives, they don't get the full picture. And so I'm here to help make it fair and to bring clarity to all things. Pray for me, guys. So let's we practice, get started. Straight talk. We practice this, but, you know, in the moment, I don't know if the Holy Spirit's going to whisper something in her ear that I haven't heard. So pray for, pray for me. Well, the first myth I want to share with you tonight is... This idea that what's yours is mine and what my, what's mine is yours. Have you all ever heard that before? Well, what I didn't know that I wish someone would explain to me is that once I got married, that I don't own anything. That my wife owns everything. And the reason she owns everything is because in those vows, I think somewhere in the fine print, it says you own everything. Uh, I didn't see that version of the contract, but apparently she did. So she's going with it. Um, but when you get married, you give over your car, you give over your bank account, you give over your closet. So for all the engaged guys, FYI, when you move in with your spouse, the closet in the master bathroom is not yours. It belongs to her. When I moved in, straight talk, I, I moved in, I was so excited, and I was about to car carry my stuff into the master closet. She's like, no, 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 I have a, I have a closet for you. I was like, where, where, well, where is it? And she says, well, it's right here. It's the coat closet. And uh, there's a couple coats in there already, so you get about this much. So um, you're going to have to find other places to put your stuff. So that's how it works. And, and really, the, the truth is, guys, the reason why we give everything to her is because our queens, they need a castle. And we get the privilege of providing that to her. 
Here's the other thing that I didn't realize in marriage that I wish someone would have told me is that women talk in code. And they don't tell you what the code is until you, until you mess up, and then they say, well, that's not what I meant, okay? So what, what my wife would often say to me is, we need to do this. We need to go here. We need to take care of this. And what I didn't realize is that when she said, we need to, she was actually saying, me. That the word we means me? I, I didn't know that. I'm trying to help you all out. But that's what it was. She says, we need to take out the trash. What she meant is, you need to take out the trash. Uh, we need to take care of that errand. What she's saying is, you need to take care of that errand. Now, she'll so often say, my wife will say, sometimes, I need, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I will take care of that. Now, again, in the fine print, what I don't know is that most of the time that's true because there might be moments where she said, yeah, I did say that I would take care of it, but what I really need you to do is to take care of it. So just a heads up, what's yours is yours, and what's mine is, is yours as well. So uh, just trying to help you all out. Now, here's what it's all about. When it comes to marriage is that it's never all about us. In fact, God uses marriage to help us get rid of selfishness and sin. And many of us men, we, we grow up in a culture where it's all about machismo. Uh, you walk into marriage thinking that you're just going to recline in your recliner and you're going to watch the football game and you're going to say, hey, bring me a sandwich and a soda. Th that's not true. That's not how it works. What, what God really wants us to do is he wants us to serve one another. In fact, one of my friends, he has this statement that he says, and, and I'll tell you, this really hit my heart. He said, I try to outserve my wife. I try to outserve my wife. And when I heard that, I said, there it is. That's what it's all about. And that's an uncomfortable truth, but that's what God intends for us to do. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says this, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. What God wants us to put away is our selfishness and our sin and serve, serve our wife. And so if I want to take this one step further, in Ephesians 5.25, this is what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that word give up actually means sacrifice. It's the same word that refers to Jesus dying on the cross. We need to sacrifice and love. And in fact, that word love is agape love. It, is, it means that we need to love our spouse even when they're unlovable. Sometimes in marriage... Here's real talk. Sometimes in marriage, it's when you're with your spouse, sometimes it's like hugging a cactus. It hurts, but you still do it because it's the right thing to do. And so what I want to encourage you is to take that step. And guys, if you want to stay single, if you want to stay selfish, stay single. Don't get married because God will use marriage to help get rid of selfishness. Yeah. Well, the second myth we want to address, and I think all the ladies in here, um, this one is sometimes hard for us to accept, is that we have this myth walking into marriage, someday he'll know what I need. Someday he'll know what I need. Someday he's going to get it. Someday it's going to click. And the truth is, women, husbands don't take hints. Husbands don't take hints. And this took me a long time to accept in our marriage. They don't get our subtle hints. They don't get our obvious hints. And so early in our marriage, I remember I would just drop hints like, 
wouldn't it be great right now to have a soda? And every woman in here knows that's code for, can you please get me a soda? And for a guy, that's just information. They don't get that we are offering them opportunities to serve us and to get husband points. But they don't get hints. And ladies, even in our emotions, they don't get hints. Us being, giving them the silent treatment, sighing, sulking, slamming that door a little louder, being a little louder with the pots and the pans in the kitchen. He has no clue that something is upsetting you. It is something, and it's our responsibility as wives to communicate clearly what we feel and what we want. It's our responsibility to communicate clearly what we feel and what we want. And I know sometimes as women, then we feel like it takes all of the romance out of it. Because if we drop a hint and he does it, oh, what it makes us feel like. But he's not doing it to begin with. So if we will communicate clearly what we feel and what we want, it gives them the opportunity to serve us. They want to serve. They want to fix our problems. They want to show up for us. They want to serve us. But they have to know what we want and how we feel and what we need from them in every single moment. And all the guys said amen to that, right? Yeah. All right. Now, guys, here's one for you. Another myth is, we sometimes walk in believing that someday I'll understand my wife. Truth is, your wife will always, say it with me, always, always be a mystery. They will always be a mystery. Again, they talk in code that doesn't make sense. And their world is backwards from ours. We don't seem to understand what, what is going on. I don't understand how she thinks and why she thinks the way she does. And sometimes we feel like God is playing a practical joke on us. We think that he has it out for us because we don't understand our spouse. But in fact, God has done it on purpose. He has given our wives a different perspective. And the best way that I can explain it is through vision, through eyesight. You know, if someone is blind in one eye, they can see things, but they don't have the capacity for depth perception. They can't see how far away things are from them. And what that causes sometimes is people bump into things because they can't see how far away things are. It requires bifocal vision. And bifocal vision, what it is, is they are slightly different perspectives on the same object or situation. And what I've discovered is, is that God has given my wife discernment and intuition that I don't have. He has given her spiritual depth perception. In fact, and I wrote it down just to make sure I get it right, is a, a woman's intuition is spiritual depth perception because it is the whisper of the Holy Spirit. A woman's intuition is actually spiritual depth perception because the Holy Spirit is speaking to her. And I often have wondered, why is it, God, that you speak certain things to my wife and not to me? And I think part of it is that sometimes we are oblivious as husbands. We're not paying attention. We're not listening. God prefers to speak to us because we are the spiritual heads of the house. But whenever we are not listening, whenever we've abdicated our spiritual responsibility, God will speak to our wife to get to us. And I've learned over time, and this is a pro tip. This isn't just me coming as a counselor. This is actually real life experience. I have learned every time I have not listened to my wife in a significant decision, 
I've come to regret it because she was right on. She has spiritual discernment, and God has given that to your wife to protect you. So if she says, hey, that person, you shouldn't be hanging around them, listen to her. If she says, hey, that's a bad business deal, don't go into it. If she says, hey, that person you want to partner with in that business deal is bad news, you need to listen to her. Because God has given her wisdom and insight to protect you and to safeguard your marriage. And we as husbands, we need to be willing to go forward and listen to our wife We don't have to understand it, but we need to trust that God is speaking to her. So how do we go ahead and understand our spouse? I have an acronym. It's ABA, always be asking. Always be asking. I've learned to ask my wife, what do you need today? How can I serve you today? How can I pray for what's on your agenda today? Because husbands, here's the secret. What she needed yesterday isn't what she needs today. And if you assume, you're going to end up not serving her effectively. So just be willing to ask. Be willing to have the humility to ask and say, what do you need? How can I serve you? And if you do, God will help you. In fact, I want to share this one verse. John 14, 26 says this. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Let me give you the JMV version. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things your wife is talking about and will remind you of everything she has said to you. If you're willing to partner with the Holy Spirit, he'll give you insight into how she's wired and what she needs. The next myth we wanted to confront today, and this is, I think, one that everybody walks in with, whether they realize it or not, is that marriage is all love, sex, and fun. We walk in when we're, when we're engaged, when we're dating. We look at marriage and we say, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be like the honeymoon phase all the time. It's going to be great. Um, and then all the married people are in here are just like, you know, it's not. Because we know there are great days and there are hard days. Yeah. There are days that are just awesome and there are other times that you don't like them at all. And we think that we understand what marriage is, but the truth is that marriage is more about sacrifice, apologizing, and forgiving. Every single day, it's sacrifice, apologizing, and forgiving. See, marriage is hard work. Marriage is hard work. You are two imperfect people coming together with two different backgrounds trying to build a new family culture. And that's why I think that a diamond is a good metaphor for marriage. Because ladies in here, you always look forward to the day you're dating somebody, you're hoping that eventually you get to marry them, and you're just waiting for that day he's going to get down on one knee, he's going to present you a ring, and he's going to ask you to marry him. And you're looking for that ring, right? Because you, you've picked out the cut, you dropped several hints, you've, um, you're hoping for the setting that you wanted because you want that sparkly thing on your finger, And you're excited, and we look at marriage, and we're like, it's this beautiful, sparkly thing that's just going to be amazing. But I think sometimes we forget the work that it takes to create that diamond and that rock. See, diamonds are forged in the earth through immense pressure and heat. It takes, uh, over time, it takes over 725,000 pounds of pressure per square inch at a degree of over 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit in order to create a diamond just in the earth. And that's a rough diamond. And then they got to mine it. And then they got to cut it. 
and then they got to polish it. So the end product that you see is not, you don't see all the work behind and the time and the pressure and the heat that it took to create that rock on your finger. But we look at the outside and we see it and we're like, oh yes, that's what I want. But do we, are we ready for the work and the time and the pressure that it's going to take to build that? You see, I heard it said one time that marriage is not intended to make you happy. It's intended to make you holy. Marriage is not intended to make us happy. It's intended to make us holy because it's going to challenge you. It's going to stretch you. There's going to be days that you're going to have to wake up and you're going to have to love them when you don't like them. And you're going to have to show up in moments that you just want to be selfish. And you're going to have to sacrifice. And I'm going to have to say, it's about him and it's not about me. And it's going to be work and it's going to be time and it's going to be energy. And it's the constant all the time. See, marriage only works if we both work at it. Marriage only works when I show up 100% of the time and he shows up 100% of the time. It only works when you both work at it. But it can be an amazing thing. It can. And the truth is, is that there is that part of enjoyment in marriage. But there's a lot of giving. In fact, when, when a diamond uh, starts off, it's a large rock. But when it becomes a shiny diamond in a ring, there's a lot of excess stuff that's got to be taken away in order for it to shine. And we as married couples, we need to allow God to remove some of those things from our lives so that our marriage can shine. The other myth that I want to offer to you is good communication is the goal. Now, I'm a marriage counselor by training. I don't do counseling anymore. But every marriage seminar that I've ever attended, they always say improve communication, improve communication, improve communication. Have you all heard that before? You need to improve communication. I think improving communication is important. But I would say that the thing that's more important is a good connection. Because a good connection actually leads to good communication. And here's what I mean. Have you ever been in a place where you have no cell service? It's a dead zone. It's a dead zone. You can't send any text messages. You can't receive a phone call. You can't even get on social media. And it frustrates you. The same is true in marriage. Communication stops when there is no connection. In fact, I'd say that most of us, all of us, even when we fight, we don't have a problem communicating. For example, when we're frustrated, we slam doors, we roll our eyes, we make underhanded comments, we criticize, we're contemptuous, we get defensive, we raise our voice, we yell, we make contorted faces, we have animated conversations. I would suggest to us that we don't have a problem communicating. We have a problem with healthy communication. And healthy communication goes away when the connection falls apart. And what I've learned in my own marriage is that when I've prioritized my communication at the expense of our connection, everything falls apart. When it's all about me and I listen not to really hear her, but I listen so that I can respond, that's not healthy communication. We need to be willing to come and listen. In fact, Stephen Covey calls it the win-win. 
This is a business principle. In order for you to have longevity in business, you have to have the mutual win. It's got to be a win for the person, for that other person, and for you. But often in marriage, what we do is we focus on, if I can just win the fight, that's what it's all about. But marriage math, the way it works is, if one person wins and the other person loses, guess what? You both lose. The only way you can possibly win in marriage is when both people win. And one of those areas is in the area of expectations. Unspoken, unspoken expectations are relationship landmines. And what we must be willing to do is go ahead and have that conversation before the fight about what our expectations are. Because relationship pain happens when there's a distance between expectation and reality. And the larger the gap between, between expectation and reality, the more relationship pain there is. So what do we do? We have a conversation about how we close the gap. And what I would say to you couples is prioritize your relationship over your preference. Prioritize your relationship over your preference. Hold your preference with an open hand and hold your spouse tight. And what you'll discover is that the gaps in marriage will close in those expectations and the relationship pain will go down and God can heal your relationship in that way. Yeah. The final myth that we want to confront tonight is this. That fighting with your spouse and for your marriage are identical. And I think a lot of times we walk into marriage and we walk into a relationship thinking this is true. That if I'm fighting with my spouse and if I'm fighting for my position, eventually it is fighting for my marriage. But that's not true. The truth is in marriage you can either be right or you can be married, but you can't be both. You can be right or you can be married, but you can't have both. See, conflict must be constructive. Conflict must be constructive. And see, when you're dating and when you're engaged, we see this, you know, after you've been married for a while, as, as you see and you talk to people that they're engaged and they're in love and you see all of the, the new bliss upon them, you know they have blinders on because we've all been there. We have those blinders and we think we agree on everything. We think that we agree on everything, and because we're in love, everything's going to work out. And, yeah, it's important to agree on the big things, but you're not going to agree on everything. Conflict is inevitable because you are two different people with two different backgrounds, two different family cultures, two different experiences that you're walking into a relationship together, and you're trying to build a new family culture. And so conflict can just creep up on you moments situations, life happens, and then all of a sudden you realize you don't agree and you're not really sure how you're going to move forward. See, it's okay to not agree, but you have to come to a resolution. And one thing I've learned in our marriage, and it took a long time for this, is that me being right sometimes isn't worth it. If you know me for any period of time, if you had any conversation with me, um, if, if I've been around you for any point of time, you will quickly realize I am very competitive. Very competitive. This is true. And growing up. We agree. Growing up in my house, anytime we would have family game night, we would do anything, I had to win. Like, I had to win. And I was a very sore loser growing up. And my parents don't, I, I won't fault them. They honestly tried to work this out of me and it just wouldn't come out. And cause, and so I struggled for a long time when I walked into our marriage, I had to be right. 
I absolutely had to be right because I believed I was right and my opinion mattered. I was going to die on a hill. It mattered. And so we'd enter into situations. We'd enter into a disagreement, and I would make sure my way was known. I was going to hold fast. But like I said, the truth is you can be right or you can be married, but you can't be both. And it created a lot of friction in our marriage. It created a lot of distance. And it took me several years before I realized what that was doing to our relationship and how my need to be right was destroying the connection I had with my husband. And I had to get to a point that I had to figure out, is the issue in the conflict worth the distance I was creating with my spouse? Was it worth it? But you know, there are some fights that are worth having. Not every fight is essential, but there are some fights worth having. Yeah. And so I really had to, took me a while, and then I began to, to ask the Holy Spirit into to our relationship, and I began to ask the Holy Spirit, God, I need you to show up in moments when we're going to have a disagreement. Because I need to have the right perspective. And so I began to ask the Spirit when something would come up, Lord, how do I need to respond in this moment? And the Spirit came into that moment, and he would give me direction, and it would change the trajectory of that conversation. Because he would say, you need to extend grace in this moment. Danae, I need you to be silent. This is a moment you need to give support. This is a moment you need to do this. And when I was led by the Spirit in those moments, and I responded to the direction I was given, it changed the dynamic of our relationship. And your opinion is not worth your marriage. Your opinion is not worth your marriage because you can win the fight and you can lose the war. You can win that fight, but is it worth losing the war? And you lose your spouse in the midst of it. You can win and still lose. God doesn't intend for us to have that experience in marriage. He wants us to both win. And so as I was thinking about this final moment, the Lord was whispering to me is that many of you who are here you're struggling in fact if I had to give you one final myth some of you are facing this myth right now you believe in your mind and in your heart that it'll never get better that's the final myth that's the most insidious myth that is the most destructive myth you're in your marriage and right now you feel like There is no hope. It'll never get better. But the truth is that with God, you can get better. Your marriage can improve. And here's the reason why. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has the power and the authority to raise a dead and dying relationship and marriage. And if we are willing to be humble, to invite the Holy Spirit into our marriage and into our relationship. He can bring about healing and transformation and breathe new life into your marriage. And I know some of you, you feel like the struggle is insurmountable. You say, Pastor, but you don't understand. You don't know our struggles. You don't know our difficulties. You don't know the infidelity. You don't know the addiction. You don't know all that I've been through in this marriage. I may not know but your father in heaven knows, and he has a solution. In fact, he has the power to see and know everything, and he knows exactly what both of you need to do in order to revive your marriage. And in fact, the Holy Spirit wants to breathe new life. He wants to pour his spirit out. 
And so tonight as I close, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite everyone to stand. And if your spouse is right next to you, if you're engaged, I want you to grab them by the hand right where you're standing. And I want you to pray. And for those of you who are joining us online, do the same as well. We're going to pray. We're going to pray as couples. And we're going to invite the miracle maker to come in and heal our hearts and to heal our relationship and to pour his spirit and his truth. The Bible tells us that he will, that we will know the truth and the truth will what? It'll set us free. Some of us are stuck in mentalities and with myths that don't align with God and we need his spirit. So let's join together. I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to pray for your relationship. And here are the two prayer targets. I want you to pray that God would help you confront the myths in your own heart. And number two, that he would bring about healing and that he would come into your relationship and bring healing with him. Let's go to the Lord. God, we come to you. There are many couples who are here today who are struggling God, they're on the brink of divorce. In fact, in the last 30 days, they've talked about it. They think that there's no hope. They believe the lie that there's no hope in their relationship. But God, you're standing at the door knocking and you're saying, if you'll just let me in, if you'll just invite me in, I will not only help you confront the myths and the lies and the deceit that the enemy is putting in your mind, but I'll bring healing and hope and I'll pour out my spirit and I'll bring about a renewed strength and I'll breathe new life into your relationship. And God, you're wanting to do that. And so as I pray right now, God, I pray that every couple would say right now, Jesus, come into my marriage. Jesus, you are welcome into my marriage. You're invited to take our ordinary, difficult life and make it extraordinary, God. And so today, I pray for these couples. God, may they have the courage to say yes to you and to welcome you in. And as you do, would the light of your truth shine in their heart? Would you confront the lies and bring truth and light to their hearts? Bring about healing. Oh God, we're gonna pause for just a moment. Bring about, minister healing, Holy Spirit. Minister, minister healing, Holy Spirit. Touch hearts. Bring about unity. Let there be oneness in the mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen, amen.